started, I don't know if any of you woke up and saw the news uh, or checked your Twitter or Facebook and saw what was going on over in Orlando uh, from the early morning hours. I just want to take a second and pray for the, the families, the victims, uh, the police from the, the, terrible, uh, the terrible shooting that went on over there early this morning. So if you would join me in prayer. God, we don't understand why people take it upon themselves to, to do things like this. But I just want to pray for the, the, the families of the, the people that were, were killed this morning. I want to pray for the, the people that are right now in the hospital, um, the police, the FBI who's investigating. I just pray for your healing hand, your, your, your comfort to come upon these people, help them helped him to just make sense of what's going on, uh, to, to give them the confidence that, that you are active and present. And God, I pray for the authorities to have wisdom um, for all that's going to happen in the coming days. So we trust you, um, and we, we thank you for being uh, with us this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. So... I wanted to start, I was going to say, just by giving an update. Some of you, you, you get my emails uh, when I send them. Others of you, you know what, what I've been up to just from our conversations in the hall before, before we start service, uh, the times that I come over. I've been in the process of writing a book for the last, uh, last couple years. It's been a very involved process. It's, it's, been, it's been very difficult. But I just want to share with you that the book is done. And it's going to be released uh, at the end of the summer, September 1st. And so I know some of you have been asking me about the, the, the status of it and, and how it's going. And so I just want to let you know, if you are interested in getting updates, if you're interested in some, from free stuff, uh, some free stuff as it comes available, if you want to be a part or know more about the launch of the book, you can just go to treeoflies.com. That's the website, and just give me your email address, and I'll keep you updated about what's going on. And I appreciate your prayers in that, because this is something I felt God called me to do. I felt his presence in it, and I'm just really excited for uh, what's going to happen later in the year. So the verse, which was very short this morning, uh, our key verse from Matthew, uh, it was chapter 5, verse 5, and we'll, we'll reread it again in case you, you missed it because it was so short. It is one of the eight Beatitudes that Jesus shares before he goes into what, what is probably his most famous uh, message. So if you're not familiar with the, with the words of Jesus, if you're new here, then this is the, the, the intro to the Sermon on the Mount is, is what the verse today was a part of. And what Jesus was offering those who were listening was a, a countercultural countercultural path to the good life. He wants the people who are hearing, which includes us, to, to live life from his perspective. And so as you read through these eight statements, this, the, the one that we're going to talk about today is actually the third of the Beatitudes. The first one says, blessed are those who mourn. Okay, that, that's, that's a very countercultural statement. The, the next one says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Again, that's not necessarily what we attribute blessing to. And so this, this third statement says, blessed are the meek. So before we get going into, into what this means and what's going on, I want to talk about the idea of meekness. Because I think there is often a misunderstanding. 
So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you permission to do something that Anthony would never want you to do. I want you to send a text message in church. Woo, yes. If you ever take out your phone in the movie theater while the movie's going on, you will get hushed. That happened to me once. Anyway, so here's what I want you to do. There's instructions on the screen. You're going to send, if you'd like to, if you'd like to respond to this question, you're going to send a message to the number 22333. And in the body of the message, you are going to write Scott Perkins 965, a space, and then the answer to this question. And I'm going to get your answers up here. The, an- the question is, what is the first word you think of when you hear the word meek? So go ahead and respond. What is the first thing that jumps into your head when you hear the word meek? I'm always filled with trepidation when I try technology in a novel situation. Oh, we got an answer, thankfully. Oppressed, okay? So in someone's mind, the word meek goes with oppressed. Small, okay, great answer. Meek is a synonym small. Weak, I got a pair of weak that came through. Tender, somebody spoke out controlled. The last, as you're sending in, keep sending in week. The last time I did this uh, with with a, another group of people, I got uh, quiet and shy. Somebody just sent in timid, kind, reserved, humble. That's a good one. Gentle, unassuming, docile, mellow. That's a great one. I hadn't heard that one before, but I'm really enjoying. I'm going to write that one down and save it. Mellow. So there's a lot of words that occur to us when we hear meek. Powerless. Another one. Great. So small. And if anyone sends in a final one, I'll read it. And then I'm going to, going to shut it down. But I appreciate you guys participating and, and, uh, making, uh, me feel good that I can use technology, uh, in new and novel ways. Uh, we have, lots of, we have lots of thoughts about the idea of what it means to be meek. And, and most of what I heard boils down to weak or small or docile or, or, or lame. And, and a lot of those are misconceptions about this word. A lot, of, a lot of those are misconceptions that we bring into the, this environment. So when we hear blessed are the meek, immediately... I feel like we, we are repulsed by that because we, all the things that you sent, we don't, we don't want to be meek. We don't, we don't want to be beat down, right? We don't want to be, feel worthless or we don't want to, we want to be, we don't want to be docile. So before we can understand what Jesus is talking about here in this, this countercultural way to live, we have to, we have to kind of understand the idea of meekness. What is the truth behind that word? So again, I'm going to read Matthew chapter five, verse five. Jesus says, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. So if we can understand meekness, there's a lot that goes along with it because inheriting the earth, that sounds pretty good. So when we see the word blessed, how, how the world and how around us, how we see blessing, we might say blessed are the rich, right? Blessed are the famous because they've got a lot of people following them. Blessed are the talented because they have skills to, to go very far. Blessed are the powerful. A lot of times when we use the word blessed in conversations, after something good happens, 
right? I got a new job. I, I'm blessed. And blessing is associated with something good happening to us. And certainly that is, that is true. When something good happens, uh, we, we, we are receiving blessing. I think we'd rather read Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 in this way. I, I think we'd be more comfortable if, if it said, blessed are those who believe in themselves, for they can do anything. Right? Rather than meekness, believe in myself. I mean, if you follow Instagram or Facebook, you see lots of memes, lots of pictures with some sort of message of believe in yourself, or I believe in myself, or, or, or however else that goes. We can shorten that down even that God helps those who helps them help themselves. Barna is a survey company that they, that they deal in the Christian world. And they did a survey and they asked people, uh, is God helps those who help themselves? Is that statement in the Bible? And 81% of people who identified as Christians believed or thought that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. And it's actually not. It's the idea of believing in yourself. The idea of God helps those who help themselves. This is the lie. This is the lie that way back, page two of the Bible, when, we're, when we see Adam and Eve and, and they're in the garden and the serpent comes to, 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 to tempt Eve. This is the lie that the serpent sold Eve. That God helps those who help themselves. That surely it's okay to do this thing that God said not to do. He just, he just wants you not to be like him. So we, we have this, this idea that, that being complete, that being whole is available through our own efforts. And that's the idea of if I believe in myself, I, if I try hard enough, I can be like God. I can, I can avoid every, everything else. And unfortunately, the things that we believe about ourselves, they're, they're superficial, right? They're, they're short-sighted. A lot of times, the things that we believe about ourselves are negative, or we don't believe really good things about ourselves. They're based on standards that change, right? And so we, we, if I believe something about myself and the standards changes, then the, then the carpet gets pulled out from under me and I have to redefine my whole world. So when we believe in ourselves, we become the source of rightness. And it's things like that. It's, it's, it's believing in ourselves and believing that we are right that leads to the, the tragedies that happen at, like the one last night at two in the morning where somebody goes and shoots up a nightclub because they, be, they believe that they are the determining factor of right or wrong. Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that it's wrong to think that you're good at something. Okay? It's not wrong to have confidence in, in a skill or an ability. Okay? Not at all. But doing that without having an awareness of where does that talent come from? When, when you're good at something, who made you good at that? And so believing in yourself, that phrase, it assumes a level of control. And it's also an invitation to, to shame and feeling worthless. Because what happens when you base your worth on, on, on some result and it doesn't happen? Right? If I believe in myself, then this, I can achieve this. But then what happens when you don't? Now you feel worthless. Now your world is rocked. Now there, there, there is no, no meaning. Where's God? So... What is meekness? Well, the first thing that meekness is, is admitting your need for God's grace. 
See, the truth of what the Bible says is not that God helps those who helps them, help themselves. It's God helps those who surrender to him. God helps those who stop resisting, who stop trying to create their own sense of control and are willing to, to live as he intended, which is bearing his image. Right? We're, we're, we're imperfect, all of us, everyone in here, we live imperfect lives. We make imperfect decisions. But when we're connected to God as the source of, of grace and forgiveness, then that is living in meekness. And so these eight statements, these beatitudes that kick off the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus, these, these eight statements are the keys to understanding what comes after in, in chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount. They're the key to understanding how to live. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you're, if you're at all familiar, uh, you'll, you'll recognize this. If not, Jesus says that you've heard that it, it's wrong to commit adultery. But I tell you the truth. Always get scared when Jesus says, but I tell you the truth, because something wild is coming next. He says, I tell you the truth. If you even lust after somebody, you have committed adultery. Wow. That becomes a harder standard if you take Jesus as saying, this is the standard of behavior for you. Or he says, Jesus says, you, you, you know that it's wrong to murder, but I tell you the truth. If you even are angry at somebody else, then you've committed murder in your heart. He says that if you've heard it said that you can love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus says, no, no, no. Anybody can love their neighbor. You've got to love your enemies as well. So what Jesus is doing here is not saying you got to try harder to be right. What he's saying is this is the depth of your brokenness. Your brokenness isn't just that you, we're, we're drawn to commit adultery, that we're drawn to, to murder, that we're drawn to hate our enemies. The depth of our brokenness is inside when, when we lust after something else because we want it to make us feel good. Or when we hate somebody else because they have something that, that we don't. Jesus is saying you are, your external world is part of an internal problem. And that's where grace comes in. That's what grace covers. It covers a multiple multitude of sins. And so, other than that, the Sermon on the Mount would just be a list of behaviors that we could never live up to. And, and we, would, we would live our lives in shame and feeling worthless because we can't be all those things that, that, that Jesus said. Jesus is, is the source of, of our, our meekness, our ability to... Uh, to admit that we need God's grace. There's a few examples of, uh, uh, of humility or meekness in the Bible, just as we're getting this picture of what it really means to be, to be meek. Moses, hey Moses, he's the one that led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the, into the promised land 40 years later. And so when you read in, in, in the book of Numbers, it's, uh, the fourth book of the Bible, when you read in the book of Numbers, chapter 12, verse 3, it says that Moses was the most humble man that ever lived on the earth. Okay. Well, think about Moses for a second. Some of the stories. Again, if you're not familiar with Moses, one of the things that Moses did is he went up on the top of a mountain to, to commune with God, to talk with him as he's leading these people. And when he came down, he was gone for 40 days. He had told the Israelites, just chill. 
I'm going to talk with God. It's all good. I'll be back. And he goes up. He comes back down four days. And he finds that the Israelites had freaked out so bad that they had made a golden calf. And they were worshiping it. And so Moses had come down to present a gift to the Israelites, the Ten Commandments, on two, two stone plaques. And when he saw what they were doing, he took the plaques and he threw them down and destroyed them. That, that kind of runs counter to the idea that meekness is unemotional or docile. Right? There's, there's great emotion in, in meekness. There, 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 is, uh, there is a great backbone in strength. To, to meekness. Meekness is that there's less of you and more of God. The, the, another example, of course, the best example, right? It, when you're in, if, you, if you're a church person, you learned long ago in Sunday school when you were a kid that if you didn't know the answer to a question, what was the, what was the default? Jesus, right? If you didn't know, if you weren't paying attention, you got asked the question, you say, okay, Jesus, and that's usually going to be the, the right answer. So Jesus, he's humble. He's meek. How so? Well, we're, we're told that Jesus didn't consider, even though he was God, that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something that he was going to grasp onto. And he became obedient to, to death. Right? He was a servant. He washed his disciples' feet. He walked around on this planet in the middle of all this brokenness on our behalf. I mean, he didn't do that for him. He did that, he did that for us, and he did it willingly. That's, that's meekness. That's strength. That's, that's running counter everything the culture w- w- would tell you to do. And so the result of weakness is summarized in this verse. For all those who exalt themselves. So everyone who builds themselves up will be humbled. And those who humbled themselves, those who are meek, will be exalted now, that verse is at the end of, of a parable that Jesus tells. He says, when you're walking into a party, okay, and there's going to be a lot of people, a big spread, and you get the choice of where to sit at the table. Okay? Does anyone know, where does Jesus say not to sit? Head of the table. Right? What, the head of the table is where the, the prominent, most important person sit. And he says, if you, if you have exalted yourself and you sit proudly at the head of the table, what is going to happen is you are going to be told to move. And you're going to be embarrassed. And people are going to point and laugh and snicker. And then you're going to be the subject of gossip. What Jesus says is the meek person walks in, doesn't assume their importance, and goes to, the, go, goes to a different spot in the table. That way there's an opportunity for you to be exalted, possibly. And that's what Jesus does to us. He exalts us. He's going to bring us to the head of the table when we are all at the wedding feast at the, at, at the, at the end of our lives, when we're all together again. We are going to be exalted as we live in meekness. So we've all seen the, we've all seen the person. We've all been around the person. We've worked with the person. Maybe you are the person. I've been this person that has a, a, an imposter to meekness. And the word for this is servility. Okay, this is the person that is seeking acceptance by deferring everything to others. All right, where do you want to go to eat? I don't care whatever you want. I just want you to be happy. Okay, what, what, what do you want to do? It, does, it doesn't matter at, at all to me. As a way to seek as a way to seek acceptance, trying to gain significance by being what other people want. 
That, that's not humility at all. That's actually uh, an end around to try to get what you want by acting on the outside as, as you're humble. And I'm an expert in that. So when I'm speaking this message, that was directed right at me. So, uh, and maybe somebody else in here. We try to create an image, right? We all, when, when you're servile, you, you allow people only to see the good. And you want to gain life through building yourself up, how, whatever that takes. And you cling, you cling to control, right? The person who says, uh, we can go to lunch wherever you want, they're really trying to grasp onto control. And I know it seems uh, counterintuitive, but that's exactly what, go, what is going on. And so meekness at its core is an issue of control. Meekness is, is related to the idea of where are you seeking your value and your worth? And so this is the idea of identity. And it's something that I bring up every time that I, that, that I come over here. And in case this is your first time seeing me, your identity is how you define yourself. It's, it's where you seek value. What, what makes you significant? And related to that is where we try to find identities in our security and in our control, in, in, our, in our approval. And so being meek means surrendering that, Be, being aware of, of what you're trying to cling to, being aware of your weakness and your helplessness. And instead, instead of being defined by what people think of you, instead of being defined by what you do, instead of being defined by what you have, that you, you are defined by God's love for you. That's what makes you significant. That's what makes you valuable. That's what makes you worthy, is that God loves you. So, we don't like to admit, though, that we're weak. We, we don't like to admit our, our helplessness. I mean, it, it kind of it, it becomes in our face when we, when we read about tragedies, when we read about natural disasters, or when we read about uh, somebody shooting up a nightclub, we become confronted by the fact that, hey, my, my, my days are numbered. I don't control how long I'm going to live. I don't control what's going to happen tomorrow. I, I, I'm helpless in, in that way. And we kind of live in denial of that. I mean, think about this. I've spent 12 years as a pastor, and one of my least favorite things to say when somebody asked me a question was, I don't know. Because what happens when somebody you're turning to for something says, I don't know? Kind of detracts from their authority, right? Isn't that the impression we get? Instead of, instead of honoring that and saying, I appreciate the honesty, Instead of partnering together and saying, let's find out together, by, by saying, I don't know, our, our view of that person is unfortunately diminished. Because we don't like to admit that we, we struggle or that we're weak. But here's the truth. And the Apostle Paul, he wrote this to the, the Corinthian church in the first letter that we have to that church. He said, God uses the weak things of this world to shame the strong. The reality is that, that, that we are. And, and meekness is saying, I, I might be weak in this world, but God is strong through me. Less of me, more of God. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
for your freedom. We can't add one hour to our day. We can't number the hairs on our head. We can't sustain our sense of self. We can't provide the oxygen that we breathe. These are all provided for us. And so when our identity is rooted in ourself, when we believe in ourself, then we gain life through whatever, money or fitness or followers or power or we could sit here all day and list the things that we find, uh, that we find life in. Relationships are, are a huge one. And Jesus said, this is later in Matthew after the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples, because as you read through the Gospels, this is what the disciples were struggling with. Less of them, more of Jesus. They struggled with this until the ascension of Jesus back into heaven after he was raised. And so Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. They take up their cross and follow me. Denying yourself, this is meekness. Less of you, more of God. Now, this isn't denying your value. I already already mentioned that, that you were valuable enough that Jesus came that Jesus was obedient, that Jesus died on on your behalf. That's value, right? God, the, the one who created the universe, died on your behalf so that you could have peace with God, you could have freedom, that you could live live in eternity, that you could be part of the kingdom now. I mean, that's value. Denying yourself is not putting yourself down, walking around saying, oh, I just stink. I'm awful. I smell you know, whatever it is you would be tempted to say to put yourself down, that's not humility at all. This is denying your old sources of wholeness. So a question I would have for you is, what is it for you? You know, as I'm sitting here talking, I'm hoping or I'm guessing something's popping into your mind that you're clinging to a little too hard. Whatever it is, what is it for you? That's the thing that God's trying to rip out of your hands. And it gets more painful the harder that, that you try to grab, to grab onto that. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was born six months before Jesus was. He, he was born to be, to be a prophet, to, to announce that the, the, Messiah, the Messiah had come. And this is what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said that among people born to women, no one was greater John the Baptist was the greatest human that that ever lived. But when John the Baptist figured out who Jesus was, when when he knew that Jesus was the one that he was announcing, John said, I must decrease so he could must so that he can increase. My significance must go down so that his significance could could be built up. Less of me, more of Jesus. So how do you think more of God? Right? How, do you have, how do you have more of that? And I think we, we, try, we, wear, we kind of wear a, a false coat in this because when we want to think more of God, we want to think how much I love God. I love you so much, God. I'm go, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go to the ends of the earth for you. I'm going to be at church all the time for you. I'm going to read the Bible back and forth and memorize it for you. But it's not how much you love God. That's just another form of control. It's how much God loves you. And that's trust. Now from that trust comes 
comes all sorts of actions, but it begins with trusting how much God loves you and letting that truth be the defining light of, of your life. And that gives you freedom. It's not about performance. It's not about how much you love God and how well you perform. So the weight is off your shoulders when it's about how much God loves you first. So Matthew 5, 5 says, blessed are the meek, so th- for they will inherit the earth. So the first thing that this tells us, when, when, I'm, when, I, when, I, when I am meek, when there's more of God in me and less of me, first thing it says is a surrendered identity makes me an heir. That's hugely significant, right? What, what is an heir? An heir is the person that inherits everything, right? They're, they're the one that gets all, gets all the treasure. We have a new status when we have a surrendered identity. We are God's children. We are adopted. And when we are adopted, we are co-heirs with Christ. I mean, don't let the, don't, Okay, that's cool. I'm a co-heir with Christ. Don't let that just pass you by. Jesus was God's only son. Jesus was obedient. Jesus was perfect. Okay, Jesus, God says, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. You're a co-heir with Christ. You're right alongside in God's, in God's eyes. And that, that, that is amazing. We are God's children. Paul, when he was writing to the Roman church, he said this, Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what, what, what does all that mean? Well, going back Old Testament, there, God made this initial promise to a man named Abraham or his name was Abram, but I'm going to call him Abraham just so that we don't have all sorts of identity issues here. He made a promise to a man named Abraham. He said, if you follow me, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. So this was the promise made to Abraham. And Abraham had had a son named Isaac, and the promise was passed on to Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons. Now, back in that day, the promise, the inheritance, went to the oldest son. So the oldest son's name was Esau. He was born just a minute before his twin brother, Jacob. So Esau, he he was the firstborn. He was the inheritor of the promise. He was the one hit through his line. The the descendants, as numerous as the stars uh, in the sky, was supposed to come. But here's what we're told about Esau. Esau liked to hunt, and he was out one day hunting, and it had been a long day, and he came back, and his brother Jacob was making a stew. And it must have smelled great, because Esau looked at him and said, give me a bowl of stew. And Jacob said, I'll give you a bowl of stew if you give me your inheritance, if you make me the one that the promise is going to come through. And Esau said, that, that is fine. Take it. I just need something to eat. So Esau valued the, the promise so little that he, he, he gave it away for a bowl of soup. He wasn't willing to take the hunger. So what are you giving away 
for something much less than the inheritance that God has for you? What what are you grabbing onto? What are your eyes fixated on that's the equivalent of the bowl of stew that Esau was willing to exchange everything for? That thing you're focused on is the thing that you think is going to make you whole or you think is going to make you complete. And that's not meekness. That's not humility. That's self-focus. That's being concerned about what's right now instead of what is coming up. And so the meek, the meek interpret the present, the present circumstance in light of the future. See, the word blessed has the meaning of happiness, but I've heard so many, I've heard so many pastors and, and speakers just want to shy away from that word. Say, well, we're not really talking about happiness. We're talking about joy or we're talking about satisfaction or fulfillment. No, we're talking about happiness. But the reason that, we, that, that people are so afraid to talk about being happy when, when, when we're in Christ is because for us, happiness is circumstantial. Happiness is when things are going well. Happiness is when I'm getting, getting my way. And so we shy away from that. And, that, and that's because our experience of happiness is interpreting, uh, interpreting the pr- present in light of the past. What, what are my expectations? What has happened to me? What, what did I plan? Did it come into fruition? So we look at my present state based on what has already happened. The meek interpret their present state, how they are now, in light of the future. Being a citizen of heaven. Getting to spend eternity with Christ. Getting to have influence and impact for him in the kingdom as we proceed forward now. See, when, when you live based on the past, that's when you're going to be filled with anxiety. That's when you're going to be filled with regret. That's when you're going to live uh, in shame. That's when you're going to let the past define you. When the past defines you, it becomes hard to feel forgiven. When we look to the future, we know we're forgiven. We know where we're going. We know how God sees us. We know how he, how he defines us. So, so how can you be content? I mean, this world's kind of a crazy place, right? We, there's never a moment where we're going to feel satisfied in, 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 in anything, our financial status or anything for, from, from now until the end. So how can we be content? Here's the key to contentment. Knowing that God approves of you right now in Christ. You're still working things out, but when God sees you, he sees you through the lens of Jesus. He sees you as, as, as approved and he sees your true self as he, as he made you. That's not dependent on your performance. That's not dependent on results or how accepted you are uh, by others or how much you have. That's based strictly on the standard of Jesus. Interpreting the present in light of the future. And knowing that your place is secure. You're an heir. That's secure. That's not going to change. So Matthew 5, 5 said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit. Okay, so we're the heirs. We're inheriting the earth. And a surrendered identity, in addition to giving, giving, uh, to, to making you an heir, it also gives you a place. This beatitude that Jesus spoke 
it's based on Psalm 37. Psalm 37 was a, a messianic psalm to the Israelites. And in that psalm, there's a, there's a, a verse, verse 11 that says, The lowly, which can be translated the meek, the humble, just depends on how, how you want to speak it. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. Possessing the land is said four times. It was so significant, this idea of land and having a place, that it was said four times. Another time, it was said as the inheritance, this land was going to last forever. Another time, it says that the, the lowly are going to live in the land forever. Not, not just possess it, but they're going to live there. It's all about place. And the same thing is true for us. In the book of Revelation talking about what's going to come at the end, which is a really hard book to understand, so I don't refer to it too often. But at the very end, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. At the end is place, where we're going to dwell. I mean, this is, this is a real significant theme. Adam and Eve... When they were created, they were put in a place. They were given a garden. They were given, they were given something that reflected the goodness uh, of God. And then when they chose their own way, they were displaced. They were sent out of the garden. Ab Abraham, when he was first called, God said, you need to get up and go to a new place. It was the idea of place. The Israelites, when they were rescued from Egypt and wandered around in the, in the desert, they were given a place. Their, their, their hope was the place that they were going to, to go to. It was the promised land. It was the nation Israel. And then when they, when they disobeyed and they were doing their own thing and they didn't think about God at all, they were displaced. And the Babylonians came and took over and they captured them all and took them, took them back. Then, after that, they reacquired the place because this place is so, so significant. We, the church, we're, we are wandering in the desert right now. This, this earth right now, this is the wilderness for all of us. And we're wandering around uh, as God is shaping and, and forming us. But we have a promised place that we just saw in that verse in Revelation. Now, some, some theologians... They think that, that that verse means is that the world is going to be completely, this world right here is going to be completely restored and God's going to be present in it. Other theologians think that, that there's a whole new creation that, that, is going to, that is going to take place. That's fine. Either way, it's all good because God has a place. It's a place of sanctuary, of protection, okay, where God's going to be, God's going to be over us. It's a place of unity, when there's not going to be all this temptation to put up walls between each other, when we're all going to have common purpose and, and there's going to be nothing, nothing between us, no distrust. It's a place of purpose and work where we get to do the exact thing God made us all the time. And it's going to be a place where God's presence is before us. We're, we're told in, in, in Revelation, God is the light. God is the light that is going to, to guide us all the time. So we get to be in his presence. And so out of that, out of that place, the meek, when you surrender your identity to God, when there's less of you and more of him, the meek experience true belonging. Right? 
Have you ever been, I, I get, this is, this is me speaking to myself. Have you ever been in a room and you see that you see the crowd and you, you try to size it up and say, okay, where am I going to fit in? Who do I want to know here? Who am I going to go introduce myself to first? Okay. That's not, that's not belonging. That's trying to fit in. That's trying to find a place where you're going to be accepted. But when, when you're meek, you're not trying to prove yourself because you're confident in who you are. You're confident in whose you are. And so maybe you don't know, right? Maybe you don't know how God sees you. And that, that's okay. That, that's, that's part of this journey that we're on. And just as an aside, I just want to say, if you don't know who you are, uh, I mentioned, the, I mentioned the, the Tree of Lies website at the beginning. I'm, one of the resources I'm working on is a video called Developing Your Identity in Christ. It's all about understanding how God sees you. So if that at all is interesting to you, go and give me your email, and I will send you the stuff as soon as, as, soon as it is ready. Because that living as God sees you is the key to, to humility and meekness. You've got to gain God's vision for who you are. Then you can treat others with humility. We're all, we can understand that we're all common in our weakness. It allows us to see the humanity of others. People aren't just a way to get what we want or you know, classifying people, good people, bad people. All of us are, have the same experience. It's the idea of surrendering versus resisting. That's the big deal of Matthew 5, 5. The meek, the surrendered, the person who is not resisting, that is tired of doing it that way and is ready for something new. It's trust versus control. So here's the question I'm going to leave you with this morning. How are you resisting God in your life? Discipleship, sanctification, whatever you want to call it, this is going deeper and deeper and releasing more of the control we try to grab onto and, and relinquishing it to God and trusting that he has our best interest, that, that, that he loves us more than we love ourselves. And if you have anything you want to talk about, if it can't wait till the video is done, come see me out in the, come see me out in the hall. I'm happy to, to start sharing with you how God sees you right now so that you can walk out of here today confident that it's not about how you're performing. It's not about what you have. It's not about, uh, it's not about being perfect. It's about how much God loves you because he created you. Please pray with me. God, thank you so much for loving all of us. Thank you that... The value you have for us is not dependent on how perfect we are or how we perform, but it's just based on the fact that you made us. And I know that so much of what happens here grieves you because uh, none of this is the, the, the way that you, that you wanted our lives to go. You didn't want us to have to wake up and, and, and see a mass shooting today. That, that's just not... That's not the unity you intended for us. So God, I pray that all of us would experience the, the, the humility of letting go of the things we're trying to cling to to define us.
that we would allow you and your love and your grace to be the factors that, that motivate us and get us out of bed each day. So we thank you for that, and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.